0: Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Petko Stoyanov and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Petko Stoyanov. Echo.
1: hey! Hi, Ra- hey, Rachel. You know <laughs> we've got a we've got an interesting guest today that's gonna help us be more secure and give us some interesting context of geopolitics and and he- I'll, I'll let you introduce him actually. Rachel? Yes,
0: because I mean, and, and for our listeners, uh, he, we're gonna talk about one of my favorite topics, and if you've been listening for a while, you'll know what that is. So please welcome to the podcast, Anton Dabora. I am so excited to have you here. He is executive director of Johns Hopkins Information Security Institute and co-director of the Johns Hopkins Institute for Assured Autonomy. And can I just put a little bitty plug there about your work on analytics for baseball teams while we're at it? Absolutely. Hi, Rachel and Petco. It's a
2: pleasure (laughs) to be here. Yeah, I wear many hats like a lot of people at Johns Hopkins and uh, have a great time. So sure, feel free. Love
0: it. Well, We'll talk more about that later, but Petco, I know you really wanted to- jump into assured autonomy, hot topic.
1: I do, cause I'm afraid if we talk about baseball and Moneyball and everything, it's gonna be a seven hour <laughs> yeah. podcast and our listeners are gonna get mad at it. But I'd love to get, uh, Tony, I'd love to get your thoughts on what is assured autonomy? Like walk me through, what does that mean? Sure,
2: well, as you know, we're using some forms of AI, primarily machine learning and all of its flavor for all kinds of applications. Uh, including transportation, health care, decision-making, whether you're eligible for credit, um, sentencing prisoners, um, identifying uh, suspects from grainy photographs, doing all kinds of things just really across the gamut, manufacturing, education, and so forth. And so, And increasingly, we're adding autonomy into our lives. So technology that's doing more and more on its own. And so we want to, in our institute, which is relatively new, um, we are looking at ways of building trust. Uh, And trust is a very loaded word. It includes a lot of things like reliability and security and making sure that there's no bias, that it's ethical that it works. Um, uh, you know, if, if it's a, a, a vision system, a navigation system on a car that, uh, that, uh, if it observes a, a gray pickup truck against a blue background versus a blue pickup truck against a gray background, that it doesn't get totally confused and imagine that the pickup truck isn't it or decide that the pickup truck isn't there. And so these are things. So there's. There are things that just don't work well, and there's an argument to be made about whether they should work 100% of the time or can work 100% of the time, because these are difficult problems. If they were easy, they would have been solved a long time ago, and also making sure that our social contracts uh, remain in place. So there are different kinds of bias. Um, There's algorithmic bias, and there is societal bias bias. And so you know, there's a, a broad spectrum of, of of challenges that need to be addressed in order for us to be able to uh, trust this uh, these autonomous systems that are increasingly using AI. That's what our institute is about. So what does your typical
1: day look wow. like then? I, I I can only imagine. You know, it's wow, yeah. <laughs> testing cars, testing you know different things. I can ima- what 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 does it look like?
2: Yeah. Well, it's very broad. And in fact, at Hopkins, this is so broad that this is a a partnership across the university and primarily between our School of Engineering and our Applied Physics Lab, which has over 8,000 people doing all kinds of interesting work. Um, So we are uh, funding internal research on different kinds of things, um, such as just to name a couple, looking at what happens um, when someone puts a sticker on a stop sign and a, an autonomous vision system uh, navigating a vehicle might, just because there's a tiny little sticker that you or I may not notice, it misinterprets that stop sign as a 55 mile an hour speed limit sign. And it's pretty easy to do, or even, you know, if, if noise is injected into a photograph, um, so, you know, what to do? You know, what are attacks that are possible, and how to mitigate those attacks? So that's one kind of thing. Um, another kind of thing is looking at how do we how do we handle the development of these software systems operationally. For example, um, a certain kind of autonomous vehicle that's commercially available is known for sending automatic updates um, to to the vehicles overnight or whenever. And so in general, you may have to use a different, the simple example, you may have a machine learning algorithm. That's really good at identifying dogs from photos, but not cats. And so you retrain it. And now all of a sudden it's really good at cats, but maybe you regressed on dogs. So how do you know? And that's kind of important. If you have a car where you know that, on your your uh, route to work in the morning, it's always navigated this curve just fine. But all of a sudden, there's a software update, and maybe just maybe there's a little bit of a regression that goes on, and it may have forgotten how to navigate that curve. So you know, those are the kinds of things um, that we that we look at. Those are just a couple. It's um, really across the board. Um, uh, looking at and also importantly looking at how we can augment these machine learning based systems either with um, partner subsystems that understand more about physics uh, or different kinds of rule-based systems to create guardrails safety zones those kinds of things for example a um, it may be more difficult for a machine learning based system to figure out you know, the infamous problem we all have as drivers, something's going across the road. Is it a boulder or is it a uh, an empty bag or box? And eh, we can sort of tell not that we can always do something about it, but maybe we can tell by the way it kind of moves and bounces that it's, eh, it's probably harmless or, wow, this is something I really need to pay attention to right away. Hard for machine learning, easy for physics-based Um, algorithm. We all know, you know, we know how, how balls bounce, how versus a bowling ball or a boulder, things like that. So, so, you know, it's more and more people are recognizing that machine learning can't go it alone in all cases. And, and so we're, we want to embed trust, earned trust into these systems. I mean, we want, we want uh, AI to be successful, but in order to get there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. It's not magic, despite what people want to believe. <laughs> so those are some of the things that, that we're wow. doing. We have a number of partners. We're building relationships with, with companies, other universities. Of course, at Johns Hopkins, we have a large healthcare component. So we're looking at the best ways to apply machine learning and other techniques in an operating room or an intensive care unit, or in a hospital, uh, a hospital, a patient room, or outside the hospital setting in the field, or in a patient's home, or an elderly person's home. So there are so many potential benefits. And we have to pay a little bit of more attention to the pitfalls right. as well, in order for us to succeed as a as a society using this family of technologies.
0: How fun.
2: So that's what we're
0: about. That sounds awesome. What's that? That sounds like
2: so much fun. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, these are we we touch on topics that we read about in the news every day as well, which is also fun um, and and interesting and meaningful. I mean, you touched on so many
1: different aspects there. You You started off with, you know, the adversarial way you can attack AI. We talked about quality impacts that vary from version to version you know, and then you have some AI that's done inside an organization and no one knows why it's working. And, you know, you, you know, you might be street, you might be watching some video and all of a sudden it's suggesting things because it's learned how to, what you like and there's good things and bad things. It becomes a time sink. I imagine for some, you know, at least for myself, I'm sure as others. But AI, I, th- I think, what is the biggest threat you think with the assured autonomy you're looking at? When you look at AI or MI, is it the adversarial? Is it a quality control? Is it just the the way it's being used from an ethics or unethical standpoint, potentially? Like, what do you think is the biggest threat that we have right now that we should be paying attention to?
2: Well, there are several things. I probably, I'm sure I won't be able to touch on all of them, but for me, one of the one of the, the biggest underlying uh, aspects of machine learning is uncertainty and the way that, that th- these systems are designed Kind of statistical, you can think about. um, And in another way, you're you're applying a bunch of inputs and kind of crafting the system so that it can um, accommodate those inputs and produce sensible outputs. Um, For example, my dog and cat example. This is a dog, this is a cat, this is a dog. And then you give it uh, a picture of a hamster doesn't, or a dog it's never seen before. Um, and the output is undefined. It's whatever, however, the system happened to configure itself. So that's a big problem. Um, these applications like, like for autonomous vehicles have huge tails, as we like to say, we can train them to go around a block, to go around a parking lot, or, you know, those very st- more structured, um, we can train it in the summer, we can train it in the winter, in the fall, but we're always going to have edge cases, always. And that's kind of going to be, so in transportation, I predict that's going to be the story for the next few decades. When we read about mishaps on the highways, it's going to be because somebody you know, slapping my forehead didn't think to train under this kind of circumstance, or maybe in some cases it just, it was so bizarre, such a convergence of, of, uh, situations that it it's nobody could have foreseen it realistically. You, you think, then you
1: think it will ever, ever be, perfect. yeah, I'm sorry. So, do you think it will ever be perfect? I mean, I'm just thinking through like the example of the boulder is that a bag or a bowler? Like I struggle even with that sometimes when you're
2: right, right, right. So yeah, not, not in our lifetimes. Is a, is a safe prediction, and and it, it all comes down to what we expect of the machine learning itself, and and how we can engineer systems around it. You know, aircraft have been engineered to fly pretty reliably, and we hardly think about it. We get on a plane, it, it works, and it works because of, of a whole lot of things and decades of hard work, research, and investment. Uh, in all kinds of areas, all working together, and I think that we need to we need to adjust our expectation for AI in a similar way. I mean, it it, it may be it, it works fine for some applications right. where that aren't life critical. For example, it, it can work just fine, but it's going to require much more systems level engineering uh, for many many applications and careful thought thoughts about the, the, uh, the, the, ethical and societal implications if we don't do that. And I, and I also predict it's going to be very uneven. Not everyone, not every organization is going to have the, the resources, the time, or the, the sensibility, the knowledge to create, uh, an AI based system that we can trust. We may not know it though. That's right. the problem. So, you know, it's going to require it. So that also suggests that requires a fair amount of regulation and um, safeguards so that we have a we have a better idea of what to trust, Um, just like we get into a car and it's not perfect, but we have some um, some confidence that at least there have been there's a process in place so that um, we can, we can trust that the car is going to do what it's supposed to do. So we, we, we shouldn't abandon those, abandon those principles. Um, as a matter of fact, and then, you know, you, you mentioned misinformation and, um, and that's, that's a big problem in a couple of ways. Um, you know, we can, I mean, I, I think that hackers are going to be able to, for one thing, craft better and better emails you know, for phishing attacks, for example. I mean, it's just, yes. it's going to be ridiculous. You're going to get an email that's so personal and has so much information that you can confirm that you ought, you know, you just subconsciously say, yeah, this is my uncle Harry telling me about his vacation and wanting me to click on the links about the, uh, you know, with his, his vacation photographs or whatever." Um, That's a tough battle. And then just overall, the the ways in which uh, social media and other channels can be used together with this technology to uh, to malinform us. We have deep fakes. So, you know, I can dwell on all the negative things, but um, and and, you know, it's 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 good to keep them in mind because we we're going to have to navigate. That minefield. There are people working hard on how to detect deep fakes and how to detect email and documents that have been generated by Chat GPT. So that's good, and we need to encourage that. And hopefully um, funding agencies are getting the message. I believe they are. And they're hard at work making sure that that, um, that those technologies for mitigation are also. Uh, supported so that they can be developed so that it's it's not a one-sided arms race. Right. So there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. It, it's really it's it it is it's it's complex, but it, it really is the future we face. That's where we're headed.
0: It's wonderful, though. I mean, right with every advancement, there's always kind of the, the flip side of it, um, you know, and kind of segueing into my favorite topic of these algorithms, right, that that learn you and, and kind of learn your interest. And we know TikTok is is a big hot topic. I think we're like the last year or whatever it is. And I as we were talking about before we got on, you know, I just discovered it over the summertime and I really didn't understand what it did or how it worked. And and then just spending a little bit of time on there, it figured out that I like animal videos, you know, particularly things with like puppies and yeah. kittens and, you know, kind of tortoises for some reason. And and then it just keeps serving that up to me, and the next thing I know, it's one o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday, and I'm like, "Where have the last three hours gone?" And it's it's yeah. genius, but it's also bad, bad, <laughs> bad, um, you know. And and then you kind of pile onto that. I think TikTok in particular, and I would love your perspective here. Um, there seem to be a lot of concerns on it being a, a Chinese-owned app, and it, and I'm sure with the the end-user license agreement. You know, I didn't, I'll be honest, I'm in security, but I didn't read the whole thing. I'm sure it's like 30 pages in two-point type. And and I know they're, they yeah. I pretty much signed my life away. Um, you know, as, as Joe Q public here, should I be that concerned versus, I know there's been articles you've kind of um, – uh, commented on or been referenced in recently regarding like members of Congress, for example, um, that are using them, uh, are on the app, maybe not on government devices. And then there's talk about banning the app use in government buildings. I mean, this is a really huge, huge topic. I mean, how do we un- unpack this, Anton? And what yeah. should we be concerned about? And, and maybe what, what are we getting a little overworked over?
2: Well, the good news is that the government has taken steps to, uh, to, to put TikTok under the microscope. So that's the first thing. Uh, it's kind of like turning on the light in the room, you know, whatever critters are around are going to scatter hopefully. Um, and so I think that that situation is, is in hand. Um, but it is a bit, it's a lot like whack-a-mole, frankly, Mm. because we have so many, uh, it's more than apps, so many ways in which adversaries can obtain huge amounts of information about us and speaking specifically about Americans. Um, I know of one case in particular, because in my security Institute, we do research on drone vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And so And this was, this made its way out to CNN a couple of years ago in kind of general terms. But um, uh, in this instance, um, a a commercial drone was sending information, depending on where it was located for its GPS, it was either sending information to server with videos and photos to servers in the U.S. or servers in China in some cases. Yeah, So, um, uh, so you can extrapolate between TikTok, this drone instance, you know, the fact that the Chinese government has a long tradition of espionage. It's almost like they take pride in it. And most of my interviews were given before the infamous, the so-called weather balloon. Um, (laughs) And it's just it's just how they operate, and you know, I as I recall during the Obama administration, there was a there was a, a major agreement that was struck on you know, and a big component of it was uh, China. You know, no longer will you hack into our IT systems and and steal proprietary information, and that lasted maybe three weeks, probably less it's just, you know, it's kind of the, it's, it's the, the, I think it's the Indian proverb of the, the frog and the scorpion and the scorpion needed a ride across the river and asked the frog for a ride. And the frog said, well, I can't give you a ride because if you sting me, you know, it's not going to be good. And the scorpion said, well, why would I do that? I, we would both perish. So the frog said, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go. So they're you know, halfway across the river and the, sure enough, the scorpion stings the frog and the frog said, why did you do that? We're both going to die. And he said, it's my nature. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that's what we're dealing here with here. You know, this and, uh, you know, I'm, I, I I don't want to I'm glad I'm not in the in the, the, the government, and the diplomat right. shoes, because it's just a it's it's a never ending saga of. Um, fighting the nature of the Chinese government to do these kinds of things. So for me, it's not surprising at all. And I wish that people would pay attention that this is this is in the realm of the not only possible, but reality. And and people also shouldn't think that, oh, well, I'm just a college student. Who cares? You know, I'm not doing anything. But um, we don't get paid to sit around night and day to figure out how to put together these little trails of breadcrumbs from people like thousands of people in the Chinese government do. Right. And if we did that, we would find all kinds of ways that seemingly innocuous bits of information can be used uh, to really jeopardize even national security. Yeah and it's little it's little by little i mean it you know that's the other thing it's you know it's 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 injury if not death but certainly injury by a thousand tiny right. cuts and and that's that's what our adversaries count on so um in this era of social media and and software there's there's the the, the much larger conversation about privacy right, right. and um what's appropriate to be shared. And I can tell you that I have mixed feelings about it because some of my research is, is for COVID simulating how COVID spreads in a community. And we make use of mobility data that, uh, that companies in the industry made available to us and to other researchers during the pandemic. And without that that driver of mobility to see realistically what the movement patterns are, we wouldn't be able to do our research. So, but that same mobility data can be used for nefarious purposes if people want to. And that's, I think you can go down the line with just about every, every technology. And you can say it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And what I don't want to see is that we just throw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm concerned that the European union is, on the verge of doing that by just blanket banning certain kinds of technologies like facial recognition, the city of Baltimore has banned facial recognition. Interestingly, because we're in the city of Baltimore. So, um, and so facial recognition and crowd can be used for surveillance, of course, but it can also be used potentially to identify someone who's in medical distress. Uh-huh. And so how do we, how do we balance that? I think that there's an opportunity for technology in a lot of cases to uh, be able to um, obfuscate or obscure the the parts that we don't want to be used for nefarious purposes, but could be used for the benign purposes. And, And I think people are starting to think about that. I think it's really important, but it's a huge conversation. Privacy has been a conversation for many, many years, and it's only becoming more critical that we uh, that we and policymakers, decision makers, all um, come to the table around this.
0: Absolutely, that's a tall order, right? I mean, it's to to try to get find alignment too, right? On, on kind of what what that right path forward looks like in regulations, and I mean, how ha- how do you scope it so that you're not kind of tipping too far one way or the other.
2: Absolutely. I don't have the answer for that. But I, I do know that we need to talk about it more and and make it a, a more of a, a broad public issue as well. Because people need to realize that it impacts them and no one is out of harm's way right. in that sense. I mean we're we're in my institute we're conducting a a survey of, of Maryland residents in this case, um, about cyber awareness. And we'll have some, we'll have some, uh, some results in a, a, a small number of months, but I know what the answer is. People still, you know, it's, it's really, really hard just to grasp just on the security side. And there, I don't think there's an argument there. It's harder for people. People still say, well, I don't understand how this would affect me. But all you have to do is look sideways, look at your bank statement, and you have a bank account. Well, then you're vulnerable. You have a credit card, you're vulnerable. Um, you know, et cetera. I mean, it's just crazy what uh, what's going on. And so, but awareness
0: right.
2: is uh, is a huge component that we need to play catch up on. Tony, do you think? Cust- I mean, do you think even
1: residents are aware that cyber and privacy are related to each other? I feel like they always keep them separate. You know, oh, that's someone hacking into the in the basement and they'll probably get something. But then privacy is, oh, I, I don't want to be recorded. Yet it could be, you know, someone could have hacked into your camera and recorded you.
2: Right. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think that uh, people don't get it. And, um, you know, a, a good example, controversial example, but I've been interviewed on this topic is the whole abortion question. Right. And how technology can be used against people where suddenly abortion, you know, and some aspects of 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 that are uh, are criminal. So now a few, you know, a few months or years ago, someone said, I'm not doing anything wrong. Why do I care? And, I, you know, I've always told people, well, the, the, the rules of the game could change one day. And you might find yourself in a situation where something you thought was harmless is you know, you may just not be in the same position now. And, and so yeah, privacy and security go hand in hand. And it's something that everybody needs to be aware of. I might be preaching to the choir and your audience might be extremely well versed in the, on these topics, but, um, if they are, I would encourage them to invest some time in getting the word out and doing some outreach, um, so that more people become aware of this. Tony, I'm, I'm
1: reminded of between the conversation of AI and there was a retail store I think a couple of years ago that at, it, in the household, they ended up getting a letter saying, congratulations on a new baby.
0: Like Target or something like that, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it was
1: the daughter that had gone and gotten some tests and bought some stuff at Target, but yes. the combination of the tests and other stuff and chocolate or whatever it was, the mix of, you know, suggested there was a baby coming
2: <laughs> and, and, yeah, it, it's it's incredible. Um you know, we we we're entertained by detective shows and novels, you know, where detectives can put one and one together and you know and come up with pretty amazing deductions. But this is what what uh, hackers are doing and now what machines are doing incredibly well. I mean The detectives have nothing on on the computers putting all of these pieces, pieces of information about our lives together. And, you know, a lot of it, some of it's commercial, too. I mean, um, I know this story, haven't verified it, but years ago, you know, Walmart figured out that through their data data collection, data mining, that um, men... Often came in to buy diapers and beer
0: <laughs> in places where one was
2: yep. here. so it allowed them to place the products
0: <laughs> appropriately in the store. <laughs>
2: Who knew?
1: <laughs> I, I, so I remember that study. It was actually tied yeah. to hurricanes. Uh, so in Florida, for example, that's what they I order extra after the hurricane
2: <laughs> first. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's important, and it, it's there's validity to it, and. <laughs> so, but, you know that's that's how things go, and and so it can be used. You know those, that can be used. I mean, vipers and beer is innocuous, seemingly innocent, but you can imagine how that uh, that methodology can be extended to all kinds of things. Um, you know, back to TikTok, right. it's not only so. You know, I one of the big the pieces of data I focus on is location data, and it's not only where you work. And most people don't realize that there are so many categories of critical infrastructure mm. in the United States that have been defined as critical infrastructure. It's not just nuclear power plants and, and military installations. It's, it's food manufacturing. It's you know financial banking. It's education. It's biotech. And, and on and on and on. So you could be working in one of those critical infrastructure categories and not even be thinking about it but it's also who you associate with. If you're in the same household with people, you have friends who have access to critical infrastructure. You go to school somewhere where there are laboratories, uh, or you could even be in a coffee shop with someone um, working on this, you know, with the same Wi-Fi where someone's figured out how to hop. And once, so for one thing uh, having all of this location data allows um, nation state actors to filter. Say, so here are the people we really want to target. And then they can go after they were, they, they send the list over to the other department. That's the spear fishing department. And they say, okay, how are we going to get into Anton DeBora? How are we going to get him, you know, to, to, um, unknowingly give us access to the Johns Hopkins it system. And then they're off to the races with me and, a much smaller number of people that they really want to go after. But it's not just location data, right? Because I'll
1: give you an example. I think I've seen certain apps track via Bluetooth what other devices you're around, what other people you're around. So if I go to a coffee shop or to my work, my phone, depending on the apps that are on it, will identify, oh, look, there's these other Bluetooth devices near me. Right. It just happens that when they look on the other side of the database, oh, it's Tony or it's Rachel. And we notice they went to the same coffee shop you know, every day at Tuesday or something. And maybe they're related. Exactly. Let me suggest them as a friend.
2: <laughs> right. <You know. laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, it, that's, it, it's, um, it's interesting, but it's also disconcerting that right. that's, those are the kinds of things that people do to get what they want. Going back to TikTok from us. Is it, just TikTok we should be
1: worried about? Is it because they're Chinese-owned? Are there other apps that have similar
2: techniques that we should be worried about as well? Well, we know that a whole host of apps collect all kinds of data about us. Um, I think that hopefully the government has, um, it's, it's been kind of a, a wake-up call. And so we, we certainly need to figure out how to Cut the pipeline of data to China and perhaps other countries. Um, So that's number one. After that, it gets much more difficult, Um, and that's where individual choice, individual awareness, followed by choice, comes into focus. You know, Apple talks about setting setting all your privacy settings accordingly. You know, appropriately. I can't even tell you that I do that in all cases because it's, it's kind of a pain and it, it requires a lot of time. And, and I also, in some cases, I am torn because I'm saying, do I, maybe I do want this app to know where I am because it's kind of cool. Right. It, it helps me in some cases. It's helpful. So these are really complex issues that aren't going to go away anytime soon. But as I said, we need to talk about them.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like this continuous, um, risk management, you know, it's like, I really want to be able to find my iPhone and it's been very helpful when I have that setting on because it's at the Starbucks down the corner where I was 30 minutes ago, you know, with, with the balance of, well, someone else could use that potentially if, if they were interested in, you know, kind of following me, um. Exactly, and it, it's kind of like that's what our lives have become. <laughs> this is continuous risk balance, if you will, and you know, and how much risk am I willing to take today?
2: Rachel, yeah. I don't think right? I, but it should be so. The 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 new generation of risk management needs to be informed risk right. management, and that's always a you know. After the last three years, we know <laughs> we know how that goes. <laughs> No, no, Tony, I
1: I do want to point out like in terms of Apple and Android, they started doing a great job of when you do install apps, they kind of inform you of what it's asking for, you know, and you, and you start wondering, wait, why do you need access to my microphone when you're just, you know, a location? Why do you have access to Bluetooth when there's no headset capability or anything? I think most of us need to start asking those questions and wondering "Hmm, what's the right balance. And, you know, you can still use the app and you can just disable those features.
2: Right. Yeah. And, you know, when those when those questions come at you, there isn't a lot of information and the timing is kind of awkward. It's kind of like I haven't even used the app yet. How do I know whether I want this to be enabled or not?
0: Well, and how far back do we go in terms of responsibility, too? I mean, I guess is the other thing, right? I mean, I I worked with the Apple App Store back in the day. (laughs) Yes, they have kind of a, a requirements list, but how much are we kind of putting on? these app stores to police that things are being developed the right way or, you know, with kind of the, the right interests in mind versus they're just going to go for everything they can and just try to get it on the store and see what happens.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's not a fair game in that, in that case because um, you know, the sense of perhaps ethics uh, responsi- responsibility, it's not infused evenly throughout the whole industry. So we can't count on them to have done, quote unquote, the right thing. So it's uh, you, you, you can't put it all on them only because right. they need to be watched. Well, well, exactly. I mean, it's it's an unfortunate reality of life that um, it's maybe not in their best interest, especially you have small, small, very small companies, startups, uh, tight budgets, tight timelines, lack of, a, lack of caring, right. well, some combination of factors that leads to where we are now.
0: And are we slowing down and the pace so, of innovation, right? If you put all these extra controls, then this next great, amazing technology can't get out into the world and then we'll fix it later. Right.
2: Yeah. And, you know, we are looking to Europe, you know, the, the, the European Union is saying, well, tough luck, you know, they're taking a different approach. Um, You know, we're, we're taking the fix it later approach. And they're, you know, damn the torpedoes. We're, we're going, you know, we're taking care of this now.
0: It's, do you,
2: I don't know which one's better. They they have, they have pros and cons.
0: do we see, you know, and I always kind of point to this, the young generation today, but you know, the those that have been born into iPad at age one or two, uh, they've only known yeah. technology, they've only known social media and this this life of ostensibly living online, and your life is online. Um, I mean, do do we see this generationally starting to change with with those that have kind of that's all they know is, is their life online. And and how does that, I guess, affect us going ahead? Since I think, you know, us on this, on this call, like I remember the days, no call waiting and the VCR. I'm really dating myself, the eight track tape. (laughs) Right.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I think that, I think that some of us have a different level of awareness of um, what's being gathered, what's being used. And not that we completely understand it, but, there's awareness. I would venture that in most cases, it's lessened with younger people, and so that would lead me to say that I think that um, it should be part of the education right. of a young person. It should be taught in school, right? Um, because it's such a such a uh, an intricate part of of everyone's life right now, and you know maybe us old dogs harder to learn, but, you know, for the, for the young ones, perhaps it's just a change of thinking that this is part of our society. It's like social studies or anything else. And we need to embrace it, but also help people arm them with the knowledge they need to, to manage those risks.
0: And that actually reminds me, I was reading on your website, there's, um, that you The National Science Foundation, you know, kind of as we talk about the next generation, you guys received um, a $3.66 million grant through the Cyber Core Scholarship for Service program, which sounds kind of amazing. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit more about that? I know I kind of just sprung it on you. But as we talk about kind of the next generation coming up and and of course the cyber workforce gap that we have, training up that next group is so critical.
2: Yes, thank you for mentioning that. yeah, we've had for many years uh, a, a National Science Foundation scholarship called Scholarship for Service or CyberCorps, and it's it's base, it's an amazing scholarship for young people who are interested in careers in cybersecurity. It's a free ride. It's one of the most it's the most generous scholarship I've ever seen. Not only does it cover your uh, your tuition. In this, in our case, for our master's program, uh, but there are other in, in cybersecurity. But there are other schools across the country for undergraduate wow. education as well in cybersecurity, and it follows you throughout if you want to continue on to grad school wow. as well. But beyond tuition and books, it uh, it gives you um, a a monthly stipend that's considerable wow. um, <laughs> for your living expenses. And even professional expenses, if you want to go to a conference, you need a new laptop, it pays for that as well. Now, all you need to do the, the for service part is the number of years that you receive the scholarship. You go work for the government. Right.
0: Um, oh, that's great. And
2: it can be it's, it's primarily the executive branch, but it's not limited to the executive branch. You are getting paid. It's not like right. you, you know, you're working for free. Right. So you're well paid um, and it can be and, and you pick where you want to go to work. They have job fairs and you go around and it's your choice. So um, I think it's a, it's a wonderful program and it's also kind of um, under publicized. So we're, we're actually, because uh, you'd think that thousands and thousands of kids would be going after these scholarships, but it's actually not the case. So please get the word out. Let's get, get some more young people involved in taking advantage of this, this wonderful scholarship program. That also gives you an amazing start to a career in cybersecurity, which is um, lifetime job security. Absolutely I can say very safely. Yes.
0: <laughs> and I, I love that they start off in the government too, right? Because the government is in desperate need of, of security talent as well. And and getting folks early and in in the government track is, is critical as well.
2: It is. Yeah. So it's a it's a good program all around.
0: Wow. I feel like so bummed. I was born too too early to take advantage of it. <laughs> I was thinking
2: the same thing, Rachel. I never had any of that.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool.
0: That's fantastic. So I know we're coming up on time, so I do want to be respectful of your, of your time today, Antone. So with all of the work that you're doing, I mean, it's this amazing, exciting work. Um, how are you feeling about the future of security? Um, you know, or are you feeling really positive on, on what's to come and, uh, hazardly cautious or kind of what are your thoughts on the next five to 10 years?
2: Um, I think that it's going to continue to be a big issue. I think that it's, sh- it shifts, you know, the, the, the threat vector is always okay. shifting um, now we're looking at AI-enabled applications. You know, I, I say we, we really never figured out security for our traditional, our legacy systems. And now now we're, we're getting this AI where we don't even know what's going on inside. So how do we know if it's doing what it's supposed to do, uh, if the system is doing what it's supposed to do? Um, and so that gives me um, uh, a bit of trepidation. But at the same time, we have lots of brilliant people working on mitigation efforts, and it's you know there are there are um, there there are people who are really bound and determined to go after the hard targets. But I think that once we figure out how to adequately defend most targets, um, the bad guys kind of move on. It's kind of like uh, it's it's like um, you know house thieves. You have a good a, a good, uh, security system in your home, most of them are going to just keep, keep going. And that's what, that's what we hope for. So the more we invest in, uh, in security research yeah. and, um, and, and really galvanize around the idea that security is a critical threat that we need to address. I think the, the better Absolutely. off we'll be and just keep those bad guys moving.
0: Absolutely.
2: Keep them on the run.
0: Yeah, that's exciting. Well, I would love to have you back. I mean, it's all the things that you're working on are so fascinating, and I know our listeners would love to have an update in the Thank future. You. So, uh,
2: <laughs> well, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed talking to you, and uh, and would love to come back to discuss Wonderful. anything you'd like at any time. Just let Fantastic. me know.
0: Fantastic. So, thanks again, Anton, and and to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining us for another awesome awesome discussion this week. Uh, and don't forget. Echo, you know what I'm going to say? Smash.
1: Smash the follow button or like button. Just download <laughs> us at your favorite Spotify, Apple, Apple podcast, or whatever, anywhere else you like to listen to us. Listen to us.
0: That's right. That's right. Good <laughs> plug. Good plug. And so thank you again, everyone. And, and until next time, be safe. Thanks for joining us for the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Force Point. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit forcepoint.com govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher.